All right, so we're in Deuteronomy 12. We dealt with the whole idea of the theology of sacred space. Uh, and essentially, we're done with that, except I wanted to give you one thing that would help. Uh, the Old Testament tends to be some of the most unread portions of the scriptures. Uh, and, I, and I can understand it. If we're not a history person, we're not really going to care too much about Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1st, 2nd Kings, 1st, 2nd Chronicles, 1st, 2nd Samuel, all that stuff right there. We're, 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 we're going we're gonna to get lost in some of the details. If we don't pay attention to the fact that the kingdom split in two, then we're going to get lost. Why is he calling this Israel and this Judah? Are they talking about the same places? How come they have two kings? Well, they don't have two kings or two separate places that have got this back and forth and a degree of devotion to Yahweh that the other one doesn't. A lot of that stuff tends to get confusing. But I want to give you just one key verse that helps with the theology of sacred spaces. And again, we are going to do Deuteronomy 12 today, but it's 1 Kings 13. If you could turn there just real quick, keep your finger in Deuteronomy. We'll only be there for a second. 33 and 34. It's a good summary statement of the theology of sacred spaces, if you'd like that. 1 Kings 13, 33 and 34. Here's what it says. After this event, Jeroboam did not return from his evil way, but again he made priests of the high places from among all the people, any who would, he ordained to be priests of the high places. This event became sin to the house of Jeroboam, even to blot it out and destroy it from off the face of the earth. So that's a pretty serious but bullseye summary statement of this whole idea of what was going on. It not only reveals the action, it reveals the heart behind it. Very, very important stuff. So I want to make sure that everybody understands that. So what we're going to pick up at now is going to be chapter 12, starting in verse 12. And the interesting thing about this is, is that God is giving and issuing for when the sacred space is established Here's what you're going to do in the midst of that. There's going to be rejoicing that goes on. We see that in chapter 7. We're going to see this in verse 12. But here's the question. When is the timing of the establishment of the sacred space where God will be worshipped? When will this take place? Do they have that right now? Not really, because the tabernacle is a traveling thing. Mm -hmm. So there's no one particular place. It's just where the presence of Yahweh dwells, which technically it's going to be in the same in the future. But this is immovable real estate. Uh, just, just so you understand what the joys of that might be like. It's like if you were able to walk into our auditorium and you never had to move the chairs for Awana. <laughs> they just always stayed there okay it's stability it's confidence type of idea so so if that's like a real silly way for us understanding that uh, it's the idea of Yahweh is going to plant himself and remember the idea of tabernacling amongst the people dwelling amongst them and being an ever-present um, which he is anyway, I get that. But but the idea of just the knowledge of his presence is ever with them. It's the fellowship aspect. It really is. So when does this take place? Does anybody remember what Moses said when this would happen? Can't remember? Okay. So notice verse 10. When you cross the Jordan, and live in the land which Yahweh your Elohim is giving you to inherit, and he gives you rest from your enemies around you so that you will live in security. 
then there's your timing word. And real quick, on timing words, anytime that I see words like then, after this, in that day, I put this next to that verse. It's just a little thing that looks like a clock or a pie chart. Especially when I'm dealing with end times prophecy, Matthew 24, uh, especially. I, you will find next to little, little verses in my Bible, this little thing right here will let me know that it is a timing issue in mind, okay? So if that helps you, if that's a Bible study practice that you want to take up to just make your mind think, okay, there's timing involved. They're not going to do this right now. He's prepping them for something in the future, okay? So notice what it says. Then it shall come about that the place in which Yahweh your Elohim will choose for his name to dwell, there you shall bring all that I command you, your burnt offerings and your sacrifices, your tithes and the contribution of your hand and all your choice votive offerings or your vow offerings, which you will vow to Yahweh. Does everybody remember that? Mm -hmm. So notice, it's not right now. What's going to happen is they're going to go into the land. They're going to conquer all the people. They're going to be given rest from this. Now, that's very interesting to think about because did they end up conquering all that God said? Nope. No. no, they did not. And so notice there's going to come a point, and we're, if, I don't know if we'll get that to that today, but we can next week. There's going to come a point where there's going to be a, okay, now you can settle. Now you can be settled. And now we can move on with this whole situation, and I'm going to choose Jerusalem for my name to dwell in. Now, if you remember, when we dealt with a few chapters before, the idea when they came up and they destroyed uh, Og of Bashan, remember he was a giant, they kept his bed as a trophy, but they got all of that space all the way to Dan. If you remember last week, we talked about from Bethel down here by the line, or the, the what was the Arior River, all the way up into Dan. It was a massive 140 mile span of space that they took over at that time. And from everything I can tell, and some, some Hebrew scholar will probably tell me wrong, everything I can tell, that was not part of the original allotment of what they were coming in to initially possess. It's part of the grand scheme because we know that God's uh, providence for them is going to move them all the way to the Euphrates River. But as far as, as for what they were going to conquer in that immediate moment, it was the idea of the land of Palestine that they were going to take care of. It was Canaan is the idea that they were going to get. So this whole thing that they got from Augabation was a, was a super big deal. In doing that, in him setting his name, at that time, three and a half of the tribes, two and a half of the tribes, uh, were given spaces to stay. You can go ahead and set down some, some roots here, but you're going to leave your women and children here, and all your men are going to keep going and are going to keep helping us fight until the job is done. When the job is done, then everybody can go back home and everybody can set up shop and be planted, and you don't have to worry about it anymore because as long as you serve Yahweh, he's always going to give your enemies into your hands. Does everybody remember some of that stuff that was going on? Mm -hmm. So two and a half of the tribes have already got some form of settlement going on on the east side of the Jordan River. Okay, every place where this is taking taking place, this whole idea of these sermons is taking place on mountains that overlook the idea of going into the promised land. So in verse 13, uh, sorry, verse 12, you shall rejoice before Yahweh, your Elohim, you and your sons and your daughters and your male, male and female servants and the Levite 
who is within your gates, since he has no portion or inheritance with you. In other words, all of Israel, regardless of what your lot was in life, didn't matter if you were a hired hand, didn't matter if you were considered royalty amongst the people. Everyone got together, everybody worshiped, everybody rejoiced, everybody praised God. Why would that be an important principle for God to institute amongst the people? Because all They're the all other equal. nations around them had different laws for different different, uh, different kinds of different classes. Of yes, yeah. both of those are correct. Because in God's eyes, they're all equal. Because everybody else was dealing in caste systems, classifications. Especially if they had this idea of reincarnation going on. For some people, like the Hindu people, you better live a really good life as a gnat or a fly or a speck of dust or whatever you are so that you can come back as something greater in the next life and it just persists on and on and on and on. That type of stuff is trapping to people. Sometimes when we think about the law of God, we think about, oh my gosh, they're so strapped down now. They can't really do anything. And this is so binding and this is so burdensome. And also, It's actually extremely freeing compared to what's going on in the nations around them. So this idea of everybody having a corporate worship service in the place that God designated for his name, this was a time to bring everybody together in unity. This, wasn't, this, this, this was completely different from how other people were moving it at that day. Uh, verse 13, be careful that you do not offer your burnt offerings in every cultic place you see, but in the place which Yahweh chooses in one of your tribes there. You shall offer your burnt offerings, and there you shall do all that I command you. Now, don't violate the sacred space is pretty much the idea, okay? Verse 15, however, and you might say, what in the world's going on here? You may slaughter and eat meat within any of your gates, whatever you desire, according to the blessing of Yahweh, your Elohim, which he has given you. The clean and the unclean may eat of it. Now notice, may eat of it. We're not talking about clean and unclean animals. We're talking about clean and unclean people. In other words, if you want to kill it and grill it, you can. That's the idea. He's okay with it. And look what he says at the end of that. Uh, let's see here. As of the gazelle or the deer. Now why do they bring that up? They're going to bring that up again. Uh, we'll probably get to that in verse 22 today. They're going to bring that up again, but here's the reason why. Once they're settled, they're settled next to mountain ranges. And so you're going to have opportunities, especially amongst the Fertile Crescent. Are we familiar with the Fertile Crescent? Are we familiar with that? I need to, I need to get my map. This whole idea. Let me go grab my map real quick. I apologize. It won't take but a second. Quick while he's gone. <laughs> okay, so here is what is interesting about, and actually I probably need a different map than this, but this will suffice. Um, this entire um, region is what is known as the Fertile Crescent. And the reason is, is because if you're familiar with where the Persian Gulf is over here, and over here would be Ur, Babylon, what we later know of, okay? You travel all the way up the Euphrates River and you come up and the rivers stream around here and they actually curve into what eventually becomes the Sea of Galilee, the Jordan River, the Dead Sea, that kind of, it creates this issue here. Well, why is it fertile? Because it has a complete constant 
stream of nourishment that's always flowing through it. Well, you're going to have trees, you're going to have flowers, you're going to have all the other things in the midst of a Middle Eastern climate that is going to be rich vegetation of what you can eat from trees or whatever, but you're also going to have a lot of what? Wildlife. Animals, wildlife, critters, mm -hmm. game, whatever it is. And so they're going to go hunting. When they go hunting, they want to eat meat. God likes it when you eat meat. He's okay with it. And so he says, yeah, you're going to bring these offerings here. But in bringing these offerings here, that doesn't mean that you can't hunt on your own. You can't eat meat on your own. You don't need to reserve your meat eating for just this one place. Again, he's giving them freedom. Verse 16, only you shall not eat the blood. You are to pour it out on the ground like water. Why are they not to eat the blood? Life's the blood. The life is in the blood. Genesis chapter 9, verse 4. We, we must understand that. Let me give you another reference real quick. We won't look at these. We've covered some of this before. Genesis 9, 4. Leviticus 17, verses 11 through 14. The life of a person is in the blood. And the life is deemed holy. It's deemed set apart. The blood is deemed set apart. So, is God providing food for you in the form of meat to eat? Yes, he is. But you have to be careful about how you go about eating it. You drain all the blood out of it first, and then you cook it in order to eat it. And we're going to deal with this issue of blood later again. Verse 17, you are not allowed to eat within your gates the tithe of your grain or the new wine or oil or the firstborn of your herd or flock or any of the votive, the vow offerings, which you vow, or your free will offerings, or the contributions of your hand. Now, I want you to note verse 17, because that is the prohibition, okay, or, or the prohibiting is the idea here. These are what you're not to eat, because here's what someone would do. Oh, well, we were supposed to go up to the house of the Lord, supposed to go in his presence and we're supposed to rejoice with everybody regardless of that because we don't have a caste system here we're all as israel going to worship together rejoice together we're going to eat together and what they would bring in sacrifices after they were done with the sacrificial situation would turn around and also provide the food for the feast that they were going to have it was actually a real rip-roaring good time that they were going to have at this place okay it really was somebody may conclude in their mind well you know what i don't feel like making that trip and you know what? I think I'll just worship God at home. Anybody ever heard anything like that before? Yep. I'll just worship God at home. Yeah. That'd be good. Yeah. What's that? Pastor Pillow and Sister Sheets. Pastor Pillow and Sister Sheets. <laughs> wow. Here, hold on. Edit that out. Okay, great. <laughs> but, but it's true. There's so many people that give reasons as to why they don't have to be at church, why they don't need to be in the present. Well, isn't God everywhere present? They try to pull theology on you about the whole thing. It misses the point. What would be the point of everybody gathering together? What are some benefits, not just of the church, but think along Israel, because that's what we're dealing with here in our context. What would be the points of being together? Fellowship. Fellowship. Fellowship's a big one. Encouragement. Encouragement might be a big one. Accountability. Accountability might be a big one. Worship might be a big one. Praying. Some of you guys that are scared to death to raise your hands when you worship might be next to somebody that becomes your friend that does. You know what? You might all of a sudden be sitting there singing. Next thing you're like, <laughs> freaking out because all of a sudden your hands have raised in worship. Guess what? It's okay. 
Encouragement, worship together. How about this? Networking. Who better to network with than people that are amongst a society of your own? Remember, Israel wasn't just this religious entity. They were, they were a nation. They were business. They were agricultural. They were livestock. You know, they were, they were checks and balances. They were supply and demand. It was, all, it was everything that makes up a society. What made a difference was that God was to, to be saturating the society and his laws were such as to govern the nation and how they responded. But man, this was an extremely beneficial time for everyone to be together. And, 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 and I don't know what else to say except an extremely gracious situation. It was, a, it was a planned event for mutual benefit for everyone. So yeah, and that's one of the big things about coming to the church. Why would you want to you know, be amongst your brothers and sisters? I sometimes wonder if we ever really get to the crux of the assembly of the believers of what we're really supposed to have. You know? I don't know if you ever come to church and you feel like that it's just going through the motions. I got to be here. Well, my mom and dad will be mad if I don't go. And people will think weird to me if I don't show up. And Man, the heart issue is so vitally important. I would even challenge you, how prepared is your heart before you even get in the car and drive here? Do we ever take time before we even come to church to prepare our hearts for being here? Having a good attitude. Uh, making sure that we're prayed up for our brothers and sisters and sensitive to things that are going on here at church so that we can continue to pray and be encouraging to people that need it. There's so much to go on that we could talk about. I so pray in the car. Pray in the car? That's good. Your, your drive's short, so your prayers are short, right? That's okay. That's okay. But it's the whole idea of realizing that when we come together, and, and here's the secret of it, it really is. Coming together to ch at church is never about what you're going to get out of it. We often come to church or we select a church based on what we think we're going to get out of it. It never, that's never the goal ever. The goal is what can I give for the benefit of others in the midst of our assembly? Why is that? Because by doing so, that's how you get what you needed out of it. We often come with this attitude. When we come with this attitude, all of a sudden we realize that we're being filled up and we didn't even know that was going on. But then that how God's economic system works, isn't it? If you give to my purposes, I will make sure and bless you and take care of you. You won't have any problem. Financial advice. I'll never forget a couple of my last church were having some money issues or really living paycheck to paycheck kind of thing. They went to a financial advisor and the financial advisor said, oh, this is simple. Just get rid of all this money you're giving to your church. Mm. <laughs> is that a worldly solution or a godly solution? Worldly. Right. Worldly how are they making it paycheck to paycheck? God. Boy, that's a lesson to be taught. It really is. God's the one who gives you the finances. You be faithful with what he gives you. You see what I'm saying? So it's those types of it's those types of things, the reasons why we would want to get together. And that same principle plays out in why we're here. We're here to give and to pour into other people. Why is that? Because we find that God pours into us through others as we're giving out to others. Always considering others better than ourselves. So moving on here. Verse 17 are the things that were to be reserved for the centralized gathering. Those were things that you didn't do anywhere else. You did those things in community with your brothers and sisters in the presence of Yahweh. Verse 18. And this is, this is a, a stemming off of that point. But you shall eat them before Yahweh your Elohim in the place which Yahweh your Elohim will choose. You and your son and your daughter and your male and your female servants and the Levite who is within your gates. Now watch this. And you shall rejoice before Yahweh your Elohim in all your 
undertakings. Be careful that you do not forsake the Levite as long as you live in your land. Now, two things. Number one, notice that by including everybody in verse 18, this was a cultural thing. This is the way we do worship. Moms and dads, as a responsibility, are teaching their children what it is to worship God. Not so much, now you need to say these words. Now you need to wait for this stanza. Now you need to open your Bible to this book. That's not the type of instruction you give to your children about what it is to worship God. You teach them what it is to worship God by how you worship God. You see that? So this is something that was just embedded in the culture. This is what takes place, and it trickles down to every facet of society because we are setting a precedence amongst ourselves of what God wants. But not only that, why would you not want to forget the Levite? What was the issue there? Because they're the ones that are making the sacrifices on your behalf. Well, they're the ones making the sacrifices on your behalf. Excellent. They don't have a land of their own. They don't have any land. They don't have any inheritance Materially speaking, in fact, an interesting point here, if you want to write this down, just write down 10 colon 9. Turn back to chapter 10, look at verse 9. It says, therefore, Levi does not have a portion or inheritance with his brothers. Yahweh is in his inheritance, just as Yahweh, your Elohim, spoke to him. They didn't receive any of the land. If you notice on our map right here, notice what you've got. Judah, Reuben, Gad, Ephraim, Benjamin, Dan, uh, Manasseh, uh, let's see here, uh, Zebulun, um, Dan, Asher, Naphtali. Notice that you've got all that Simeon. Notice that you've got the 12 tribes listed out there. Of course, replacing uh, Joseph and Levi with Ephraim and Manasseh. But in doing so, Joseph is played through in those two kids. Levi's not. Levi gets nothing. Now, there were cities for the priests to dwell in, but they were always cities under somebody else's jurisdiction from that tribe. They could dwell there, and they waited their rotation when they were up to serve in the temple as the Levitical priests for that year or whatever that may be. But as far as any plot to call their own, they had none. So what is their situation? They rely on the offerings of the people in order to supply their sustenance. That's what happens. Why don't you want to forget them? Because they don't have anything else like you have stuff. Now, here's what they do. People go, they read that and they go, wait a second. It says the Lord is their inheritance. How come the Lord ain't providing for them? What's the answer? He is. He is. The Lord is providing for those people through what? His other people. Guys, that principle has not changed. That principle has not changed. God still supplies for those less fortunate people who may not have much in the church through the people who do. Are you advocating socialism? No, I'm advocating Christianity. That's just what that is. It's caring for them. Well, they're not working. Then they don't eat. That's real simple. And it's not like there's not plenty of work out there, plenty of quality work that needs to be done in Portage. Yeah, we're not, we're not saying that people are getting freebies. We're saying that we need to be gracious to people. And if we've been blessed with much, one of the greatest reasons we see why we've been blessed with much is so that we can supply for those who haven't been in some way. I don't think there's anything wrong with that at all. Or 
they are working and they just can't quite make it. That that is, that is some situations, yeah. Making ends meet like that. Um, so moving on, verse 20. When Yahweh your Elohim extends your border, as he has promised you. Now I want you to mark that and pay very close attention. Did anybody not get a pen? I got four of them right here in my, pocket, my shirt pocket. Everybody got a pen? I want you to mark that because it's important. When Yahweh your Elohim extends your border, as he has promised you, and you say, I will eat meat because you desire to eat meat, then you may eat meat, whatever you desire. Now that screams to me in neon lights, pork barbecue. I love it. <laughs> but here's what I want you to see. When Yahweh your Elohim extends your border as he promised you, what is the border? Aren't they going? Now, now here's the thing. Remember, they're set up here. Reuben, Gad, and Manasseh got this situation of land that they got from Og of Bashan. The Arnon right here, the Arior is the city, the Arnon River. From here up to Dan, they took possession of that by killing Og of Bashan. That's a ton of land. It's 140 miles, okay? So they're, they're actually stationed out right here looking over into this land here. They're stationed out right here. What does it mean when Moses writes down that Yahweh your Elohim is going to extend your borders as he promised you? Now, don't everybody go prayer of Jabez on me, okay? Everybody calm down with that mess. But what does it mean? What's he saying there? What was the promise? All the way over to the Euphrates? Check that out. Was there any doubt in Moses' mind that when they walked into this promised land, that it wasn't just going to be where they had currently conquered, but if they're looking over to the Mediterranean Sea, it's going to be everything they saw, and if they were able to turn around, and if they could see the Euphrates from that point, I don't know, and look all the way back to that end, it was going to be everything around them that they saw. God is going to fulfill his promise, is the idea. So when the Lord extends your borders here, as he promised you, He's going to let you hunt and eat meat however much you want. You can eat as much meat as you desire. Man, that's one of my favorite verses in all the Bible. <laughs> I love that. Now, real quick, just to give you the reference for this so that you understand. Uh, and, and when it talks about extending of the borders, uh, the borders, remember the initial promise that was given in Genesis 15. You don't have to turn there. I'll just give it to you. Genesis 15, verses 18 through 21. He not only gives him the parameters of the land, but he names off the tribes of people that are currently occupying that land that are going to be removed because of their rampant sin. Genesis 15, verses 18 through 21. I want to make sure that you have that on there. In fact, I need to write it down in my Bible as well. Genesis 15, verses 18 through 21. There we go. All right. So, verse 21. If the place which the Lord your God chooses to put his name is too far from you, then you may slaughter of your herd and flock, which the Lord, which Yahweh has given you, as I have commanded you, and you may eat within your gates whatever you desire. Now, why would he put this idea of if it's too far from you? Trying to haul all that stuff to one location is quite an ordeal okay could be quite an ordeal is that an excuse well i had too much to bring to church so i didn't come to church <laughs> is that is that an excuse 
What are we talking about here? What did we just come out of in verse 20? The extending of what? The borders, the territories, the land. If you live all the way over by the Persian Gulf, right next to where the Euphrates River meets into it, and you've got to travel all the way over to the temple in Jerusalem, you don't just cut through the Arabian Desert. That's how you die. You could go through the Arabian Desert. There's nothing there. There's no water. You're not going to make that. So what do you have to do? You have to follow the Euphrates all the way up. Okay? And you have to go to Haran, which is at the top, which Abraham, this is the exact same way that Abraham and Lot went when they left Ur and they went all the way up and then they came down. Why did they follow that way? Because there's nothing but water and vegetation all the way. If they went straight across, they would die. Somebody that has to transport all the way up and come all the way down just to enjoy meat there, it's not a good thing. So what part is reserved for that? Whatever is mentioned in verses 17 and 18. Those are the reasons why you make that trek. And notice in that situation, however far you are away, Yahweh really doesn't care about that. You make that trek. You be there. You be there when it counts when he says you have to be there for those offerings. So it says, uh, let's see here, verse 22. Just as the gazelle or the deer is eaten, so you will eat it. The unclean and the clean alike may eat of it. Only be sure, here it is, not to eat the blood, for the blood is the life, and you shall not eat the life with the flesh. You shall not eat it. You shall pour it out on the ground like water. You shall not eat it. Now pause. Are you supposed to eat the blood? Okay. Does everybody see how emphatic Moses is being about this? Why does God take this so seriously? What is the function of the blood? Life. Not that it's just the life. That's that's what it is, actually. Isn't oh, say it again. The atonement. It's the atonement. Mm -hmm. How can sin ever be atoned for if you can't utilize the blood for the atonement of sin? Everybody see that? Mm -hmm. He takes the whole sacrificial idea. It, it's heavy. When's the last time that you drove through Culver's and got yourself a cheeseburger and you thought, you know what? I sure am thankful to the Lord that the blood was drained out of this because it gives the picture of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ that was poured out for my sin. We didn't do that. We just shoved it in our mouth and kept driving. That's what we did. You see what I'm saying? But for Israel, the reminder was to be constant. Now, for them, it was probably more constant because they were firsthand draining the blood. They had to deal with the blood firsthand. It wasn't order it, drive around, pick it up, and move on. So, so this was something that, this, this thinking about what sin does and that something else had to die in order to sustain you as you're partaking of it was a constant picture of Christ that was societal. It wasn't religious. See, that's we got to get out of this idea of religion only fit in some compartment of that. It wasn't that way for Israel, and it shouldn't be that for the church and Christianity. It's the idea that Jesus Christ permeates all. The fact of the sacrifice that would come in the Lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world, it's for all, and it is represented in everything we do. We've just lost the resemblances that God has set up in the Old Testament. See how important that is? So notice how he deals with that whole idea here. Um, verse 23, be sure not to eat of the blood, right? You shall not eat the life. Verse 24, you shall not eat it. Pour it out on the ground like water. Verse 25, you shall not eat it so that it may be well with you and your sons after you, for you will be doing what is right in the sight of the Lord. Notice there are consequences. 
both good and bad, depending on what you do with the blood. If you eat it with the blood in it, you're inviting judgment. If you don't, it's well with you. Your society will actually thrive. The Jews will actually thrive based on one point. Pour the blood out, don't eat it. Now, for us, we'd sit here and go, ew, blood. Why would we want to eat the blood, right? Who, who knows why they were doing it back then, but if it has any resemblance to why people do it now, it's because of occultic or pagan rituals. It's the idea of these little g-gods have infiltrated and have convinced people that in order to properly worship Satan, they need to take a skull and fill it up with blood and drink it. It's stupidness. It's silliness. It's sin. So, anyway, we're going to stop there with the blood. We're going to pick up um, let's see here verse 26 we'll deal with we'll pick up the whole idea of the blood and get a running start and we will finish the chapter Lord willing because uh, we've only been in it since the beginning of Sunday school uh, and hopefully we can move forward a little bit when we start dealing with people who are into witchcraft that's always fun witchcraft people are always great so let's pray <laughs> Father thank you for our time together and pray God blessings over our understanding. If anything, we see that, that Yahweh wants his people to have a good time, to rejoice around him, to be satisfied in what we do. Uh, the fact that going out and, and, and getting meat uh, and eating of it, something as simple as that, Lord, that we often take for granted, is used as an expression of your seriousness against sin and the idea that blood must be shed to take care of it. Father, make us humble people as we as we think through those things, Lord. Uh, thank you, God, for this group of people, this church, Lord. May we radiate uh, the goodness and the righteousness of Jesus Christ in our daily lives. We pray it in his name. Amen.